You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. But we begin a new series tonight. It's a heavy series, I'm just going to tell you. This is a tough one. I don't know why I do this to myself. I feel like the Lord tells me, and I say yes, and then I get into it, and I just get beat up by the Word of God, trying to get ready to share it with you. But we are starting a series on the Beatitudes, specifically on the first a few verses of the Sermon on the Mount, and I want us to begin by reading these verses in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And I will be reading out of the New King James Version. Does anybody have a Bible? Hallelujah. We have it on the screen if you don't, but we do encourage you to bring your Bible and a notebook to Growth University. So let's begin with Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you're just going to have to excuse my voice because it's not going to get any better. Hallelujah. But for the next seven weeks, we are going to be studying this challenging excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount. And I have no doubt that you've read them before. I have no doubt you've probably listened to a message or a podcast series as I have on this particular topic. But I began this study personally this past fall, and I have been convicted by my lack of understanding and application in my own life. And as I have read on the Beatitudes and researched study done by others, I have concluded that we can be very dismissive and even indifferent towards passages like this that we are more familiar with than others. And I think that's especially true for those of us who have been in the church a while. We come across verses like Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want blah, 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 blah. We know it so well. We've heard it so often. But the Lord is my shepherd is one of the most profound revelations on the nature of God that there is. But you and I can get to a place where we disconnect from the intimacy of that understanding because we've become all too familiar with it. But more on that on Sunday. But these statements of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who are meek, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, who are persecuted for righteousness sake. These words are familiar, but they are some of the most convicting statements in the holy word of God. 
And so it's not possible, I believe, for us to fully understand what Jesus was rolling out to the people he was teaching that day into us by simply just reading it in our Bible plan in a King James Version and just moving on. And that is the purpose of this series is to look at it more completely. And so I would ask you to join me in a study of this message that Jesus gave on a a mountaintop and lay aside your previous notions and assumptions about what you know about Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. I have found that the more that you study these seven beatitudes, some would argue that there are eight, some would argue that there are nine. I'm not a Bible scholar, so I'm not here to prove either or. We are doing seven, okay? That's all you need to know. But each of these is a call to every believer. And that's very important for us to understand. That Jesus was not simply categorizing believers into certain groups. He was essentially laying out the journey of a true disciple. That each statement Jesus makes forms a progression towards the journey that is becoming more like Jesus. And so all of these seven statements that we are going to study are to apply to all of us. We don't just identify as a peacemaker and we're good. We're not, oh, I'm pretty merciful. I'm good. No, the way Jesus teaches it, one builds upon the other to see us fully pursue who Jesus really is and what he wants to be in our lives. And so who is more qualified than Jesus to identify through this list who are truly his followers? Charles Spurgeon's study on the Beatitudes is one of the um, resources that we'll be using. We're going to go old school, you guys. All right, this is Charles Spurgeon's The Beatitudes, and this is Studies in the Sermon on the Mount by Oswald Chambers. How many of you are familiar with him? My atmosphere is highest. Hallelujah. That'll never get old. That's timeless, right? And so I want to give you some statements that both of them uh, make. Charles Spurgeon says this, do not fall into the mistake of supposing that the opening verses of the Sermon on the Mount set forth how we are to be saved or how you may cause your soul to stumble. Here he talks about the question, who are the saved? What are the marks and evidences of grace in the soul? Oswald Chambers makes this observation, which is very similar. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. So this is not teaching about salvation. This is about you're already saved. This is the journey you should be on. And so tonight we're going to begin this series by first establishing our approach to this message. That Jesus is not telling us what to do to be saved. But we look to other passages for that information. Amen. Correct. We know that. But rather in Matthew 5, Jesus is telling us what we will experience when we are saved. It is the identifying, if you will, of his process in our lives. 
And so the context and setting of the Sermon on the Mount supports this approach. Let's look again at the beginning verse of this passage. But this time, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, which I'm a huge fan of. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples gathered around him. I want us to quickly answer the question, where did these crowds come from? This is very important to give us context for who Jesus is going to get up and teach. Matthew chapter 4 verses 23 through 25 answer this question for us. That Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick, and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went, people from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Galilee, and from the east of the Jordan River. So, the crowd that gathered had begun following Jesus because of the many miracles he had already performed. Okay? So that is the context for this message and the context for the people that Jesus is now going to address. You see, the crowd had continued to grow is what the Bible tells us as he goes from place to place and he heals anybody and everybody. That's going to get people's attention. He's not just healing people, but he is, people are being delivered from demonic possession. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know. God help you. But it's in this moment of Jesus mania, if you will, that Jesus assesses the crowd and he leads them up a mountain. He leads them beyond the hype and the hysteria as if to say, come up higher with me. I have much more to offer you than just miracles and a sideshow. I'm interested in much more than just my own popularity and your acceptance of my ministry. I have things to teach you. And so it's obvious that, you know, there were probably some practical elements to this decision for Jesus as well. He went up higher. People could see him better. People could hear him better. But it seems worth noting in the context of the whole Bible that the setting for the Beatitudes is on top of a mountain. Mountains have been the settings for some pretty epic encounters with God throughout the Bible. You think about Mount Sinai where Moses received the law. You think about uh, Mount Moriah where Abraham was prepared to offer Isaac on the altar. And then there's Elijah on Mount Carmel calling fire down from heaven. Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives when he left the earth. And Mount Zion is symbolic of the church. And so you get the picture Mountains are places of importance in the Bible. And so Charles Spurgeon points out that it is on a mountain that God proclaimed the law. And it is on a mountain that he expounds on it as we see here in Matthew 5. And so I have a pick here. This is the place that people believe would have been where Jesus was somewhere in this area where he would have taken everyone up to that mountain and sat down and and talked. Isn't that cool? It's a real place. Jesus was a real person. This really happened. I just love to get us beyond the artistic renderings to say, no, it's real, you guys. You can go there. This is awesome. 
And so picture with me as we begin this first statement of Jesus, what a setting it must have been for us as the listeners. Imagine that you were just part of the crowd. You were watching these miracles. Your mind keeps getting blown. You're just following this guy around. What's he going to do next? What is about to happen? Who is he and where are we? What is going on? And so now you and I are invited to not just watch Jesus do these amazing things, but Jesus says, come up higher with me and I want to teach you some things. How exciting that would be that Jesus wasn't just this performer, this miracle worker, but he lets that crowd now know, I have more for you. I want to help you in your everyday life. And so I just want to pause here as we get into this teaching to say that Jesus was not some carefree hippie. I just have to say it. He did not go around peace and love, man, with his long hair blown in the wind, not making any waves, don't want to step on any toes. It's all love. It's all good. I'm Jesus. No. That's one of the things I love about the chosen is the guy that plays Jesus is manly. Praise God. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter, okay? He was a hardworking guy. And so Jesus is this amazing teacher. He's this man's man. He comes with a sword. He teaches hard things. He has hard conversations, even with his own followers. And we're going to see this in the Sermon on the Mount, that it does not make us feel good. Jesus doesn't rub their backs and say, hey, follow me and it's all good. Jesus lays it out in the Sermon on the Mount to say, you want to follow me? You're saved. That's great. And the road to follow me is not easy. And this is exactly what it looks like. All right. And so these Beatitudes, though, are not in place of the Ten Commandments. That's another misconception, that Jesus comes again to just make us feel better and say the law was too hard, so you get a free pass now. I'm going to make things easier for you. You can make the argument that actually Jesus' teachings just added to the law and gave us a greater sense of accountability because now we know better. And it's not just about doing what is right. It's about being these things as well. And so let's begin this first step on the ladder of the Beatitudes tonight in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The New Living Translation puts it this way. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so right out of the gate, Jesus teaches something that is not only uncomfortable, it sounds kind of impossible. If you have any understanding of the Beatitudes at all, you are quick to realize it's full of paradoxes. Things that just don't make sense to our finite minds. And we understand right away, Jesus sees and values things quite differently than the way that you and I do as human beings. 
And so Jesus begins this discourse on the track of spiritual growth for his disciples by simply stating that those who are poor in spirit actually possess a kingdom. And not just any kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. What? That doesn't make any sense, does it? So let's get this straight before we move on. That those who are poor in spirit are in possession of heaven. Not only is Jesus speaking of it, though, in a future sense, as in that's your reward and that's the end goal, but Jesus speaks about it in a present tense. That if you are poor in spirit already, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Now, let's process that irony for a bit. Because only Jesus could make a promise so wonderful and so impossible all at the same time. In my opinion, if any verse merits a law, you know that, that verse the psalmist uses, which means stop, think about that. It's this one. First of all, Jesus makes being poor in spirit the starting gate. If these seven statements represent a progression towards the goal of being like Jesus, then we begin by being poor in order to inherit heaven. The word for poor here means to be completely destitute, which is something none of us are wanting to sign up for. Correct? Okay. Yet this is the neediness that Jesus says we have to have in order to begin to follow him. It's the opposite of what we might assume, even though it's difficult for us to understand the logic in God's kingdom. It is perfectly aligned with his will for our lives. That in order for us to receive all that he desires to give us, we must first understand and acknowledge our profound need in spiritual deficit. And isn't that part of what we experience when we come to the Lord? we realize our need and this is why we turn our hearts toward him in repentance. It's the only way we come to that step and that understanding is I need God. I am insufficient in and of myself. I cannot even help myself. And so our humanity may not want to start here, but it is absolutely necessary to be poor in spirit before we can become meek, before we can become merciful, before we can become peacemakers and all the other things that Jesus tells us to become. And so Charles Spurgeon says this, until we are emptied of self, we cannot be filled with God. It's very consistent with what John, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist said, he must increase And I must decrease. The NLT puts it this way. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. According to Jesus, spiritual growth and maturity begins with acknowledging how great our need is of him. What a challenge in this season of new beginnings and resolutions. That the road to possessing the kingdom does not begin with the assurance of our right standing with God. 
It is not from a place of strength. I have my reading plan. What is it? Day five of five. I'm good. I am going to come to every service. I'm all in, Pastor T. No excuses. Hallelujah. But rather, to Jesus, it begins with this humbling realization that no matter where I stand with God, no matter how I ended 2021 and how I'm beginning 2022, no matter how long I've lived for God or how little I've known Jesus, I will always be in spiritual poverty without him. To be poor in spirit is not to be viewed as some immature, undesirable place in walking with Jesus. I mean, inheriting the kingdom of God isn't a bad place to start. But rather, Jesus speaks of the spiritual condition as a matter of experience. That in order to attain anything else, Jesus teaches we must begin with accepting the humble reality of what we are in and of ourselves. Man, that's really hard. This is consistent with what the Bible says throughout. Psalms 148 verse 6 says, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly. That's really good news. But the proud he knows from afar. The weakness that we assume disqualifies us when given to God is exactly what qualifies us for the kingdom of God. Admitting our need, hear me tonight, makes us blessed, is what Jesus said, and puts us in a kingdom position. Jesus is saying the realization of our need for him is where our spiritual formation begins. Not when we have it together and we start down the right path. But by simply acknowledging our emptiness and our weakness without the Lord. And so tonight, God's word is very simple, but it is by no means easy. The problem is that those of us who have experienced salvation can easily forget what we were doing and who we were B.C. And I would add that this verse is especially challenging to us as Americans. Because we are not poor. Even on our worst day financially, we are better off than most of the world. And that is the truth. And unless you've traveled overseas, you really do not understand what I'm saying. I mean, we freak out over bad Wi-Fi. (laughs) And closed dining rooms, how dare you? Interrupt my life. I mean, come on, people, really? How good do we have it that those things are like so irritating to us? I'll never forget when I went to the Philippines when I was in Bible college. It's a third world country in every sense of the word. I had never seen such poverty. I've never seen people so destitute. And I have never met sweeter more wonderful people in all of my life. I remember in our crusade services, it was the hottest I have ever been in my life. When I tell you that there was sweat dripping off of me, that is putting it mildly. And we were having service at night 
late at night to help with the temperature. Well, it was so hot. I mean, you're in a tropical climate. You're so close to the equator that even at 8 o'clock, the heat index is over 100 degrees. And we're in this little rundown arena. And people are pressed in so tight. You could not move in the altar. Why? Because they were poor in spirit. They were so empty of everything else. There was so much room in their life for Jesus to fill. That when they came, it did not matter how hot it was. It didn't matter that they didn't know us as Americans. It didn't matter what was preached or said. They were just poor in spirit. And I am a witness. Theirs was the kingdom of heaven. God's spirit moved in a mighty, mighty way. And so the last two years have exposed a lot of ugliness in all of us. Crisis has a way of bringing what is wrong to the surface. And it's been true of just about everything, even the church world. And so I just want to say quickly, because I feel that I should, that just because you can stay home and watch service doesn't mean that you should. Because we need Jesus. We need the church. Our babies, whether they are young or they are young adults, need us to set that clear example to them. No excuses. Why? Because Jesus said, blessed are those who realize how much they need God. And we need to live like we do. And so it shouldn't matter if it's a midweek service or a special service. It should not matter who is teaching or preaching. It shouldn't matter if you hate the songs that we sing half the time. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Because they realize how much they need God. And however we have access to Jesus, give it all to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And so if I can be very direct with you, my precious TCC family. If we think we're doing okay spiritually, chances are strong that we're not. No one is in a position to say, I'm good. I've got this figured out. The Bible says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. And that's a stern warning that points us back to what Jesus is saying. Hey, you want the kingdom of heaven? Then you've got to start by realizing how desperately you will always need God in your life. Revelation chapter 3 says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. No excuses. All in. Because the truth is, Acts 17 tells us, in him we live and we move and we have our very being. And so it's not a stretch for you to pray every day. Lord, help me do what is right. I cannot aspire to anything more than that without your help. I need your help just to do what's right. That's how poor in spirit I am. 
Spurgeon makes this statement, and I'm hastening to our app time. Our imaginary goodness is more difficult to conquer than our actual sin. Yeah, you guys, it's just... Let's just stop and pray right now. We will never not need God's amazing grace. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know y'all are here. Thank you for being here. You're doing the right thing. But as I was studying this and just all kinds of convicted and upset at the word of God, the few, uh, first few verses of amazing grace came to my mind. Because I feel like those verses, man, John Newton, he really nailed this poor in spirit. What it looks like, what it feels like. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see t'was grace, God's grace, that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Because I will always need it. I will always have to rely on it in order to survive and in order to thrive in my walk with God. And so, our apt time question, which I don't think we have on a slide, and that is on me, I apologize. Oh, there it is. It's magic. Incredible. Why is the call to be poor in spirit challenging to how we view our relationship with God? Or in what way do you feel challenged to become poor in spirit? I realize this is very scary to answer these questions to other people, but we're going to do it. We're going to work out our salvation together, okay? So let us begin. We'll have a few minutes and then we'll conclude with prayer and come together. All right, here we go. This series is going to be deeply challenging if you don't feel that already. But that first word that begins every statement that Jesus makes here in the Beatitudes, that word blessed is probably not defined as you would hope it is defined. It does mean joyful. It it is a positive word. I don't want you to think that it's not. 
But for us as Christians, the context has a broader meaning than just our present comfort and happiness. But the concept that Jesus is introducing to us is that we are blessed not just in this present world, but in the hope of the world to come. And so the joy, the blessing that we feel by being followers of Jesus is not limited to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That is at the heart of what Jesus is teaching in every one of these statements. That you are, can be poor in spirit and you're blessed to be so. Why? Because you realize that God is everything that you need. He is fully available to you when you can humble yourself and admit that even on my best day, I am completely destitute spiritually without Jesus Christ in my life. Amen. And so I think we have a great opportunity as we come into this new year. I don't know what you started the new year with. I know the holiday is a mixed bag of emotions and pressures and unrealistic expectations that we kind of drag into the new year to say, well, that wasn't what I thought, so this year's going to be different. <laughs> and hopefully it is. I pray that it is, and, and we should reach for all those things. But what I, what I know for sure, based on the Word of God tonight, is that whatever weakness you brought into 2022, whatever spiritual deficiency there is in your life, does not, disqualifying you, does not disqualify you from being a follower of Jesus, but rather the acknowledgement of it is the stepping stone that says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And because I can be poor in spirit, I can also learn to be merciful. I can also learn to be a peacemaker. I can also learn to do all those amazing things that we're going to get into in the following weeks. And so while this is a sobering lesson, I think there's great hope found in it to say that I don't have to succumb to my own assumptions that say, I'm so messed up, I can't really be a disciple. Jesus starts this message by saying, if you're messed up, sign up. Because if you know that, I can work with that. All right? And so I think it would be good for us to just refocus our hearts in this moment as we pray in dismissal. That maybe we do need to humble ourselves through fasting. Maybe we need to get back to some very spiritual, basic disciplines. Because we thought we were okay and we got away from reality that we're not. And things like fasting and reading the word of God remind us that we're not. And show us what we need to work on. Alright, and so let's pray together. Lord, I love you. And I thank you, God, for your word that is challenging as it is, God, it is so uh, empowering to realize that even though we are in need and we are weak in and of ourselves, there's something that we can do, and that is turn to you. And that what we often believe keeps you away from us is actually what draws you to us. Because your word says you saw the crowd, you saw the multitude, you saw the people hanging on everything that you did. And you wanted to offer them much more than just a one-time experience of watching you at work. But God, you invited them onto that mountain to learn how to be followers of you. To learn how to be in relationship with you in such a way, 
Lord, that we become more like you in every area of our lives. And God, I know that's what you're challenging us with through this series. Let our hearts be open, God, to whatever you want to address, whatever you want to challenge us with, God, that our hearts would be hungry, Lord, that we would recognize uh, our destitute state in, in spiritual matters and say, God, you are the one that can strengthen me. You are the one who can help me. And you're not just able to do it, you're willing to do it. And God, I thank you for your amazing grace that has saved us, that has picked us up, Lord, and that you are not done with us yet. But you who have begun a good work in us is able to complete it until the day of Christ. We thank you for it. We ask for your protection and your covering on us as we go. Bring us safely back to your house on Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.